When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be with Jotham Stein. His law firm has represented entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, board members, senior managers, and employees of all types and all size companies. He is the author of the legal textbook and professional guide, Executive Employment Law, and more importantly, the author of the new book, Negotiate Like a CEO, How to Get Ahead with Lessons Learned from Top Entrepreneurs and Executives. Jossam, thank you so much for joining us. Seth, thanks so much for having me on your show. Look forward to it. All right. So let's go back in time just a little bit. What inspired you to become a lawyer in the first place? Well, I became a lawyer because I wanted to keep my options open way back when I was young and had hair on my head. And I thought I'd go into public policy and I went to law school, came out to California. One thing led to another. And now 25 odd years later, or maybe a little longer, I spent a lot of my time representing entrepreneurs, executives, and employees of all levels of companies. Well, obviously, the much longer version of that one sentence summary of 25 years is in the books, and we will tell people where to go get them at the end. How did you arrive at the area of specialization in terms of like employment law and contract negotiation? So I went to the big firm after going to Stanford Law School. I stayed in, I, like a lot of people who come to California, I stayed in California, can't beat Northern California. And uh, I went into the big firm. After a couple of years, I hung out my own shingle. And uh, some of the lawyers there knew me to be a good lawyer. And so they would send me their individual clients, their entrepreneurs, their executives. And it was a great place to be because of all the entrepreneurial activity in Silicon Valley. And the reason they did that is they wanted to represent the company or the repeat players, not the individuals. 
And so one thing led to another and I ran an ad. I talk about it in the book. After a year or two, I realized all these entrepreneurs had no idea how to protect themselves. All these employees, executives had no idea how to protect themselves in employment. Ran an ad that said even CEOs get fired. And then one of the hot magazines, we don't have like magazines anymore, but in those days it was called the Red Herring. And uh, it was probably concentrated in Silicon Valley and you would not believe who called. So one thing led to another. And now I spend, uh, like I said, quite a bit of my time representing entrepreneurs, executives, and employees of all different levels of companies. Well, obviously the longer version in the book, highly suggest everybody check that out. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs, executives, and founders making? They do not protect themselves on day one. They assume that everything is going to go well, and they negotiate deals, whether they're investment deals or joint venture deals, without knowing what the other side thinks. So, for example, the tagline in your podcast is, what it takes to explode your business. The tagline of negotiate like a CEO It might be what it takes to protect yourself in business so you don't get forced out, which I can't tell you how often happens to entrepreneurs and employees at all levels. Now, is we? I mean, I've read a number of autobiographies of entrepreneurs who had that very problem. Is that only an issue when, like, it's like a big publicly traded company? No, absolutely not. It could be any small company, any mid-sized company. Remember, everybody starts small. A founder starts small. And whether you're in business with your family members, you're taking investment from your family members, whether you go into a small business or a mid-sized business with your old college buddy or whoever it is, or whether you're taking money from institutional investors, venture capitalists, private equity um, investors, you need to protect yourself and to think about the exit on day one. That's why I call it a professional prenuptial agreement. And uh, for those of your entrepreneur listeners who are, for example, taking an investment, Do they really know? And I've discovered that most don't know what the other side, the investor's thinking, right? They're they're so focused on building their business, exploding their business. They're not focused on how they might get forced out of their business, which is why if they read my book, they'll learn about stuff like capitalization tables, how important board of directors are, um, liquidation preferences, um, things like that, that very few people don't don't think about there because their joy is building their business in whatever it is chips or or biotech or software or family business or could be anything agriculture but their joy is not in protecting themselves and their knowledge isn't in that in that area whereas on the other side of the table there are some sophisticated investor knows exactly how to protect themselves in advance and if it's a family member or a small business or your college buddy and you divide things up improperly There may be nothing nefarious going on on day one, but not all relationships go well. We all hope they do. We all know of of entrepreneurs, investors, family members who have who've gotten very wealthy and kept wonderful relationships and go on and go on hikes together, you know, when they're old and 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 hang out together on vacations. We all know that. And that's what we all want to have happen. But I can tell you that that doesn't happen all the time. And what you want to do is protect yourself on the downside, particularly if you're an entrepreneur looking to explode your business. You don't want somebody to explode, somebody else to explode your business because you got forced out just before it went, it took off. You know, that's the, that's what my book's about. Absolutely. Now, uh, I love the term professional prenup. So talk a little bit more about how that works. So in any relationship, when you start a company, you're going to have a contract. Sometimes people start an oral contract, but often there are written contracts. 
And in the contract, whatever, whoever it's with, whether it's the family member, it's the college buddy, it's the investor, particularly investors, there's significant contracts. And it's in those contracts that you put the words that form the professional prenuptial agreement. Just as if you were, you know, the way it works in uh, every jurisdiction is different. So I don't want to mislead some of your, because I don't know every state in the country. But in most states, to have a personal prenuptial agreement when you get married. It has to be in writing and there are all sorts of rules. You have to go to separate lawyers and everything. Well, in a professional prenuptial agreement to protect yourself from an investor, first of all, you have to get a lawyer usually because most people don't know how to protect themselves. And then it's in the contract. And you can put a line in a contract that'll devastate one of your entrepreneurial listeners. You can also put in a, con- a line in a contract that'll protect them to the, to, the, to the end of the days against an investor who might want to take over their company. Now, what if we aren't, what if we're one of those rare companies, we bootstrap ourselves on the way up and we don't take investment capital? So if you control your company, you have more than 51% of the control. And most importantly, you can control the board and there is nobody anything can do about it. Well, then you're in great shape because you control the board and you control the company. But if you bootstrapped and you haven't taken any outside capital, but let's say you have partners. Let's just say four college roommates together. Use that as an example. Each owns 25% of the company. Okay. You're not worried about an investor. You haven't taken any investors, but you, you might not be worried about your college buddies or your friends or your family members, if you want to change the example. But you know, at some point things might not go well. Individuals get divorced. Nobody, I think gets married, think they're get, getting divorced. And that also happens in business. So would you want your three and using this example, your college buddies, ganging up on you and saying, you know what? You've outlived your usefulness. We love you a lot, but you've got to go go to Pocatello, Idaho and hang out there while we run the rest of the business. And you know what? We've intellectualized it and rationalized it. You're going to get just as wealthy as we are. We just don't want you around. Now, some people might say that's okay. Um, Others would say, no way. That was my baby. I helped build it and I want to be there. So um, it was a long answer to your question. Some of it's context dependent, but Again, part of the professional prenuptial agreement is even if you're not taking an outside investment, you want to think about your exit and how to protect yourself on day one. Now, that's assuming we do it right the first time and we negotiate a professional prenup. What happens when necessarily we didn't think about that the first time and now we're negotiating what you call a separation agreement? So then you don't you have leverage to negotiate a separation agreement, depending on what the context is, possibly. Um, but you could be forced out and you might lose a lot. So for example, a founder who didn't protect himself or herself, but is negotiating a separation agreement because why the investors want to have a good relationship. They don't want that founder going and saying terrible things down the road or, or doing worse for them, suing them. So you can potentially negotiate an exit that's very lucrative for you. For example, protection of your equity, acceleration of your equity, but you won't have control of the company. The classic is, okay, we want you to stay on the board of directors for six months to do a transition, and then you're out. Now, some founders would say, okay, if I have all my equity, assuming they got that and a lot get cheated out of their equity, but they might say, okay, let's go start another company. But the problem is um, a lot of people at the exit, they negotiate a separation agreement, but they, they they might, if they're very good, maximize their return, personal return on an exit, in terms of getting separation pay and COBRA premium benefits and equity, but they wouldn't, they often will not get what they would have negotiated, been able to negotiate for on day one. 
That makes a lot of sense. Now, what about when, let's say it's not a, let's say it's a contract for services as opposed to an employment, where do people go wrong there? Like, let's say it's an agency, you know, doing work and a company is hiring them. So this is going to be context dependent because you just asked me like in a super broad question and you know how many service companies there are out there. One has to know the context. But if you came to me with the context of more facts and, and you couldn't obviously do that on a podcast, I would look at it and say, what's important to the agency? What's important to the service provider? That could be having a long term contract. Or if they, somebody wants to kill the contract after a month, it might be they get paid something for their services. So they're not sitting there with a whole bunch of employees that they can't use. It might be, however, the consultant or service provider might have negotiated for some equity in the company. In that case, it might be protection of the equity and they don't care about you know, um, uh, servicing their employees and their, their, their own employees or contractors because they know that there are other companies out there. So it's really context dependent. But in that case, if you're a service provider, you really want to look yourself in the eye or talk to some somebody's experience and ask yourself, what's the most important things, multiple things that are important in this relationship, and then protect against you being harmed, your company being harmed, if those things don't happen. Now, what about when one side holds up their end of the bargain and the other side doesn't? You know, when people want you to uphold your end of the bargain, but they don't necessarily, they think the terms of the contract apply to you, but they don't necessarily think they apply to them. And judging okay. by your reaction, you've experienced that. Yes, that happens not infrequently. So there's two possibilities, honestly. One is a party that doesn't think it applies to them, uses it as a tool to renegotiate the contract against the party that's been breached. Alternatively, the party that's been breached sometimes has no choice but to sue or to arbitrate. So, um, you know, we try very hard in, in my business practice to help the people negotiate out their contracts on the front end, on the back end, every every end. Um, but, you know, sometimes they have to bring a lawsuit because there are certain certain people or companies out there who um, don't abide by their contracts, who enter into contracts knowing they're going to breach them. Um, I mean, that's not the way we're classically built in America. We believe you shake hands, you have a contract, you should abide by it. The court system is somewhat set up to do that. But I have to tell you, they're there's, you know, a significant, statistically significant, but minority number of individuals and, and, and companies out there who, who sort of know they're going to breach or have a tendency to breach, let's put it that way, before they even negotiated the contract. You've previously written a legal textbook. What inspired you to write Negotiate Like a CEO, which is obviously geared towards the entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO? That's exactly why I wrote it, to gear something that the founder, the CEO, the entrepreneur, or any individual, anybody at any level, even the newbie coming out of undergraduate school, getting their first job, or the newbie starting their first business, could use in breezy English, and I put in 59 stories, fictional stories, but that underscore what I'm writing about. You could just read those stories and have a fun time. Or um, you have a time where it's thinking, hey, that happened to me. You go through all 59 stories or, hey, that for sure happened to my cousin or some friend of mine. And that was the whole point of it. I wanted somebody to the regular person like myself, not the not the lawyer part of myself right. can read a lawyer book, but the regular person, every everybody else can read a book that really can help them. So help them. Jotham, without divulging any names, obviously your client identities are confidential, but you've seen some very interesting things in twenty-five in, in, in the multiple decades you've been practicing in this area of law. What are some of the craziest things you've run across? Well, I sort of run across crazy things every day that I'm like, I, I can't believe this happened. I didn't, didn't never happen before. So, uh, you know, the 
I don't know if they're crazy, but let me say um, on two ends of the spectrum, both ends of the spectrum. One is the saddest things I see. I don't know if you say they're crazy are when the person who gets forced out or the person who's stabbed in the back and loses the equity, whether a founder or an or an executive or just a regular employee, the person doing the stabbing, the wrongdoer is the person who stood up at their wedding. And that's happened multiple times. One reason why you want to protect yourself. And, and it's the saddest because not only do they lose their money and they lose everything else, but they lose a personal relationship. And then they question themselves, what kind of person am I um, to have had that kind of relationship? And there's a story in the book about that. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that sort of get lucky. They're in the right place at the right time, negotiate a good contract. They work for six months or a year. They get full vesting of their equity and they walk away from a transaction, whether it's an M&A transaction that stands for mergers and acquisitions, other kind of acquisition or an IPO. And suddenly they have hundreds of millions of dollars and um, because of the equity and the value of their equity. So uh, there's also a story in the book about that, one of the 59 stories. So that covers the, the spectrum of possibilities. But, you know, even though I don't have hair on my head, I'm always like, wow, I can't believe I just heard this story. So a lot of them happen. And um, you're right. I can't talk about any 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 client individually, which is why all the stories are fictional. I, I wrote them at a Pete's Coffee House, had a great time doing it. But they're sort of repeat the repeat fact patterns that happen over and over again, um, which is why they underscore what I'm writing about, um, you know, specifically in fact about facts to um, to the reader. Absolutely. Well, you've achieved so much success, not only in your own practice, but on behalf of your clients. What's your biggest challenge now? What's my biggest challenge now? I, actually, if you ask me today, my biggest challenge is, is I live three blocks on the beach in Half Moon Bay, California, uh, over the hill from Silicon Valley. I have an office, obviously, in Palo Alto and one in Chicago, one in New York. Um, my biggest challenge is making sure um, that with high, fast-paced entrepreneurs who are who are always wanting something done either right now or yesterday that I get to the beach uh, because walking on the beach um, or on the coastal trail that we have here in Half Moon Bay is to me is like the best experience and relaxes me and is, uh, you know, helps me keep my weight in line and all that other stuff. And that's the, that's sort of the biggest challenge, at least that I could think of right now. I'm sure that some family member or somebody or some friend's going to call me and say, what the hell were you talking about? You have much more of a, a challenge here, but that's really what I think about uh, now. Um, especially since I was just working with an entrepreneur before I got on your podcast. Well, I'm glad I got that answer. So for the entrepreneur CEOs listening who might want to work with you after reading the book, how does that work? I, I know it's going to vary. Um, are you charging by the hours? There are per project or per contract fee. Is it contingency based? How does that, how does that work? It depends. And it, often by the hour, but, but, you know, we're entrepreneurial. So we have all sorts of entrepreneurial clients. I've been in situations where entrepreneurs want us to take equity in their company because they feel we have more skin in the game that way. And it's a, just a mindset. I explain, I'm going to give the best legal advice I can give, whether I have some of your equity or not, or, or, or you try charging by the hour or some other way. And, um, and they say, no, we want it this way anyway. So, uh, but it's typically you would come to a lawyer like myself and, and, and in that circumstance, be, be billed by the hour or some other similar way or, or, or some sort of kicker at the end. So there are various ways it's been done. Got it. For our folks who want to learn more, where do they go get the book, Negotiate Like a CEO, and how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they can get the book, uh, whether in, in uh, electronic version or the hard copy, just the paperback that you just held up on Amazon.com. 
They can either type in negotiate like a CEO or they can type in my name, Jotham Stein. If they want to get in touch with me, um, they can go to the book's website, which is negotiate like a CEO book.com. And on that website, um, there's a contact page and um, they can you know, put in their information. It's like sending an email on a contact page and it would come to um, actually my staff and then they, they, they uh, send me an email and, and I get it. All right. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's incredibly valuable. This has been Seth Green with Jotham Stein from Negotiate Like a CEO. Jotham, thanks so much for joining us. Seth, thanks for having me on your show. It was great. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We will talk to you or see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.